Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Carolina Weather Group. This is the Wednesday, November 14, 2018 edition of our little weather get-together. This is show number 255, and tonight's guest is Melissa Griffin. She is the associate uh, or assistant climatologist at the uh, for the state of South Carolina, and also, I guess we can go ahead and break the news, our newest panelist. So uh, we're happy to have Melissa on. If you have seen any of our programs, Darren, um, Hurricane Florence and Michael, uh, you probably see Melissa as a guest. So uh, we liked her so much that we just said, hey, you got to come back for more. So uh, after tonight, Melissa will no longer be a guest. She'll be part of the panelists. So uh, we're looking forward to that. But before we do that, we do have some weather to take care of. Uh, this is a live broadcast. So we are talking about winter weather towards the end of the show. Uh, so if you have any questions for us, go ahead and submit those into us. We'll be monitoring uh, Facebook, Periscope, YouTube. Uh, we will uh, try to get to your questions for the, uh, the the winter weather event, also the uh, the flood threat across both North and South Carolina. So for a little brief overview of what's to expect, I'm going to toss it to James Byrton, who has some uh, new graphics for us to look at, and he's going to give us a rundown of what is uh, going on right now at the uh, 8 o'clock hour. Yeah, very fancy graphics here, but it's going to help set up the conversation, Scotty. So as of a 7 o'clock hour, about an hour ago, winter storm warnings went into effect in the North Carolina high country. So this is the foothills. This is the mountains. On the map behind me here, you can see those outlined in pink. So uh, if you're in Asheville, if you're in Boone, you have a winter storm warning because all of this rain that we've been experiencing over the course of the last two days, well, it's going to continue as we head through the overnight and into tomorrow. But as temperatures drop down tonight... We're expecting to see a little icing with that. Before we advance to the next slide, the other thing I want to show you here is even if you're not in the high country, all of those counties outlined behind me here in green, these are counties where we have flood watches out and we're going to be monitoring even if temperatures where you live in uh, North Carolina, in the Charlotte area, in Greenville, Spartanburg, in South Carolina, other parts of the upstate, if temperatures where you live during the overnight are above freezing, we're still going to have periods of heavy rain. So we're going to be watching for that flooding threat because we've had days upon days of heavy rain and we're worried about that flood potential because the ground is just so saturated so to recap here the counties in the high country you have a winter storm warning because we're watching for the potential of ice developing during the overnight hours all of these other counties here across the i-77 corridor of north carolina up into the upstate of south carolina parts of the midland you do have a flood watch let's go ahead and look here at the future cast this is the hrr run and you can see all of the rain of course outlined here in green that we're going to continue to see during the course of the next 12 hours or so. But watch closely here. Starting in the higher elevations near the Virginia border of North Carolina, you're seeing this kind of pinkish maroon color. And that is what the model is interpreting to be some frozen precipitation. So what we are expecting by the time you wake up to go to work tomorrow is in some pockets, uh, ice accumulation that could range between a tenth of an inch and half an inch of rain. We actually have a graphic a couple more down here that will show you exactly what that anticipated ice accumulation is. Let's go ahead and pop that up. And you can see that across the two-state area of North Carolina and South Carolina, we're talking about a relatively small area where the ice will peak up towards half an inch or so. But if you live in any of these counties, you're going to wake up tomorrow to realize that it is November and this winter weather has set on in. Now, if you live in other areas in the uh, high country here, we do want you to maybe delay travel if you can during the overnight. If you can wait or if you do need to go out on the roads, do travel cautiously because we could 
see some frozen precipitation or some sleet as we head on through the overnights. If you aren't aware, winter is really kind of creeping up on us here. This graphic is showing what is in play for everyone else across western North Carolina and upstate South Carolina. This is the potential for that flooding, highlighting some of those areas that again include the Interstate 77 corridor, Charlotte, North Carolina, all the way back down to the upstate of South Carolina and the Midlands. Coming up at 8.50, our panelists will be digging deeper into the forecast to give you more expert forecast analysis. But until then, let's go back to Scotty Powell with tonight's interview. Scotty. Thank you for that, James. We appreciate that. Like James said, if you're watching tonight, uh, you want to go ahead and submit those questions, you can for our, our guest tonight, Melissa, as we talk about Kokoros, or if you have any winter weather or flood concern questions, uh, you can also direct those our way. And we will be monitoring those throughout the show and answer them towards the end of the program. Like I said, Melissa Griffin is our guest this evening. You have seen her probably on our show a time or two during our hurricane coverage. Uh, but tonight she's actually going to talk about what she really does for her uh, her uh, real day job there at the uh, climate office in South Carolina. Melissa, welcome to the program. Uh, we hope you're doing well tonight. Thank you guys for having me. I really do appreciate it. No problem. No problem. So, you know, Melissa, we've had you on a guest, especially during our hurricane shows to kind of talk about the uh, the flooding potential in the state of South Carolina. But we've never really had a one on one interview with you until tonight. So our first question that we always ask our first time guests is, how did you get uh, caught up into this crazy weather thing that we do? Oh, goodness gracious. Probably uh, would be my first memory. Everyone who starts as a meteorologist ends up into a meteorologist or loves weather has a memory. Um, and that memory would be Hurricane Gloria 1986. I lived in Maryland at the time I was little. Um, and that was kind of my like my first foray into weather and getting excited about it. And from there, it was wondering whether or not we were going to have snow days. Was I going to miss school? Getting up in the morning, watching the TV meteorologist and trying to figure out, you know, was it going to be a two hour delayed opening or were we going to be out of school that day? And it just kind of progressed from there. Sorry, I hit the wrong button there. <laughs> and, and Melissa, um, talking about that, you obviously, uh, you're went to Florida State. I uh, have connections uh, to the Florida area. Talk to us about your career moves, where, um, how you got to your current position. Uh, I know uh, you had a stint there in Florida. You also um, worked a little bit with Weather Stem, which uh, we also have a, a proud partnership with those that we can talk about later on, maybe tonight or in the coming weeks. So talk to us about your professional career, career how you got to where you are now in South Carolina. Well, I uh, started working for uh, the Florida Climate Center directly out of um, college right after I graduated from Florida State and working with the uh, Center for Ocean Atmospheric Prediction Studies down at Florida State. And I was there for about 15 years. And then I started working for WeatherSTEM and using um, and, and love their mission of using weather as a teaching tool for STEM education. And from there, went and did a year in Kentucky. I worked at the Kentucky Mesonet for a year in the Kentucky Climate Center. And just by the you know, just, I don't know, fate, whatever you want to call it, um, ended up back uh, in the southeast here in South Carolina serving as the assistant state climatologist. And so, Melissa, you've worked in South Carolina for some pretty big events. Um, I know uh, the past hurricane season obviously has been busy for you, but the past couple of years have been really busy for South Carolina. So uh, before we kind of get into the Kokoros, which plays a big role into what you do uh, day in and day out, uh, talk to us about how it was to cover these uh, past few years uh, with the heavy rains in the tropics. 
You know, it's been really kind of interesting. I mean, I just, I, I got to South Carolina earlier this year. And so it was kind of a trial by fire coming in and, and uh, you know, it was heavy rains earlier in this, uh, this past summer in the Charleston area, um, almost nine inches um, in a 24 hour period in, in some locations around where Daniel Island is. And then coming out of that and going straight into Florence and seeing some of these amazing storm totals um, from this particular storm. Having lived in Florida before, I went through tropical uh, storm Fay in 2008 and actually measured close to three feet of rain in my house um, over, I believe it was more like a four to five day period um, instead of just this, um, you know, this kind of quick hit that can, came from, from Florence, especially in the eastern portion of North Carolina and South Carolina. So it, it's definitely been quite a uh, interesting start to my career here in South Carolina. Um, and it, Hopefully, it'll quiet out here uh, towards the end of the uh, hurricane season. Hopefully so. <laughs> it looks like we're going uh, straight out of the tropics into winter weather. So it's, it's going to, I think, keep us all busy. But talking about kokoros, it's a weird word. Some people may not even know what that means or what that in, uh, entitles. Uh, for us here in the weather community, we use it every day. Um, talk to the folks about uh, what kokoros means and why it's important. So COCORAS stands for Community Collaborative Rain, Hail, and Snow Network. And it's been around for about 20 years now. It got its start in 1998, and that was part of the response of the Fort Collins flood of 1997. So the grandfather, the founder of COCORAS, uh, was the former state climatologist for Colorado, Nolan uh, Duskin. And his idea was, let's empower people in the area. Let's talk to some students. Let's talk to some family members. Let's put some rain gauges out and, and just actually look at the variability of rainfall. And this came from that, that flood, the, the 1997 flood of Fort Collins. They actually had close to 15 inches of rain in the foothills. And at the official, official observing sites, they had a, close to you know two to three inches. So all this water fell in the foothills. They weren't anticipating this, this amount of water that came down out of the mountains and went through Fort Collins. It, I mean, it destroyed part of the college. Um, unfortunately, some people lost their lives just because they didn't have the, this dense network um, to, to measure the rainfall and the variability that comes with it. So that's kind of a little bit about background of how it, it got started. Um, but since then, it's grown. Um, in the last 20 years, it's now uh, nationwide. We've got observers in Canada. We've got observers in Puerto Rico, the Bahamas. Um, so we've, we, the, the, the program is just taken on and it's just spread, which is a fantastic thing. Now, I have a question for you. Um, now, going into Kokoraz Network, I see that the Weather Service offices really support your program. What, uh, how has that been possible over these years without... Uh, the Weather Service being kind of, I mean, being the official source, Kokoraz Network being tied in with that. I guess some of the rain verifications for those areas, they've learned to just sort of uh, find the most valuable weather stations or, or how, what are we talking about here for rain gauges and weather service offices? So one of the great things about Kokoraz is it's kind of taken on um, and, and really harnessed the power of the citizen science observer and the weather enthusiast or weather geek, depending on how you prefer to be called. Um, and we all use the same standardized rain gauge. So if no one's ever actually seen a rain gauge, one of the Kokoraz rain gauges before, it's this four inch diameter rain gauge and everybody's using this, this rain gauge across the network. So you get this standard measurement or measuring device that everyone's using. Um, and it really has helped kind of fill in those gaps. 
And that's what the Weather Service is really interested in. And fortunately, you know, we can't put a National Weather Service cooperative observer, you know, in every every location. Um, you can't put an automated station, you know, or, or a ASOS station in all these different places. So by having a standardized um, measuring device, this, this four-inch rain gauge, and, and being able to harness that, that enthusiasm that people have about weather, we've really been able to build this community, this network of people that are interested in taking these measurements. And, and the National Weather Service has found a, a variety of uses for it, um, whether it's a, an observer who's submitting what they call a significant weather report if they've had a substantial amount of rain in a short period of time, or even those 24-hour reports um, that we get every day. Uh, as of this morning, I think we had close to like 300 reports from observers here in South Carolina. I think it was closer to 400 from North Carolina. So you get 700 additional points that you're able to map and really get a good idea of the variability and also the aerial expanse that the, the rain has fallen. Yeah, I'm just going to show some screenshots here and um, <clears throat> sort of gives you a perspective of uh, daily precipitation you know, what's kind of going on with, with some of these areas and we look at South Carolina and all the different points in South Carolina. And, and you're sort of, you're responsible for a lot of this. So, I mean, if I go to South Carolina right here, um, trying to find where you were, South Carolina home, maybe. Um, I think yep, there you go, right there. Yep. So, yeah, you're listed right there. So tell us a little bit about what you do with the Cocoros Network. Well, as a state coordinator, um, it is my job to go out and not only um, recruit more uh, more observers, but really try and serve as a liaison for Kokoros for the National Weather Service. Um, and that can be, you know, helping them identify areas where we may need rain gauges um, and also kind of um, bring everybody together. I'm, I mean, when I came in back this summer, one of the first things that I did was I, I wrote out a newsletter and I kind of copy or kind of uh, did an overview of the last couple of really big events that have occurred over South Carolina um, and what how Cocoros has been able to, to play a valuable role in, in measuring those partic particular values. So it's it's acting as a voice for Cocoros, a local voice for Cocoros. Um, that you know, if so, an observer has a question, I can help them, or if the National Weather Service has a question, I can help them, and, and really just kind of promoting how important a network is across the state. Okay, I was going to put it back back to Scotty there. Yeah, I didn't know if you were uh, if you were done, Shay. Um, so, so Melissa, you were talking about the the network that you guys. How many how many folks do you you uh, are maybe current uh, loyal Kokoros members in South Carolina that, um, that that share their data every day? Talk about the importance of uh, of sharing the data, and maybe some of the preferred times and things like that. Well, let's see. I can say for a fact that I know that close to 120 of the Cocoros observers that are currently observing in South Carolina have been around since Cocoros started in South Carolina in 2008. So they've actually been around for 10 years. And there's probably about an additional 70 of the uh, 70 observers that have been observing for five years. So we're looking at almost 200 observers that have been part of the program over at least the last five years. And every year we hold a competition to see which state can recruit the, the most observers. South Carolina actually won this year and we recruited an additional 178 observers in the month of March. Now, some of those didn't sign up, but we still got at least, I think it was close to 40% of those that actually signed up and have taken at least one observation and are active. And 
one of the neat things about Kokoros is, is that we do look for the 24-hour observation and we try and get our observers to make that observation between 7 a.m. and 9 a.m. And that's so that it can be used in complement to the National Weather Service um, information that comes in on a 24-hour period. But in addition to that, we also have the ability to make a multi-day report. So if an observer were to say go away for a weekend and it rains, they can still make that report because that data is still valid within the Kokoros network. And that data is really good and useful because in some instances that data would be thrown out because it wasn't done in a 24-hour period. So we do have the flexibility. We do work with our observers. We realize that they may not be married to their rain gauge um, every morning and they may have have life that gets in the way but you know that's one of the great things also about the Kokoros uh, program it has an app so those who go out check the mail in the morning on their way to work you know when they get to work they can easily enter it in through the app and everything's internet access these days so it makes it really easy to make a report and so this information gets filtered into your your office how does that information does the weather service have access to that or do you have to send that information to the weather weather service? How does that work? Well, one of the things that was done in the back end really early on when Kokoros started to get um, big, so when it started to grow outside of Colorado and it started to grow into the western states and then it really kind of took off and, and started to grow um, across the eastern seaboard and the rest of the United States was they built it into the META system. So the META system is a system where uh, data can be brought in from personal weather stations and that data can get fed directly into the National Weather Service. So they have access to it on their computers and they have the, the data can either populate depending or in their grids, depending on how they have it set up at their local offices. But the great thing about the data is it's free. It's, it's readily accessible to anyone. You can go to cocoros.org right now and pull up up the, the rainfall information. And so you find people who are using the, the data that we didn't realize were using the data before. So we thought the National Weather Service is going to use the data. And then we found out, well, mosquito control was using the data and agricultural extension agents were using the data and the drought monitor was using the data and teachers were using the data. They were bringing it into the classroom. Um, and so as the program has continued over the last 20 years, we find more and more people that are actually going and pulling the data and they're using it, whether um, you know it's their, hey, I don't know if it rained yesterday in such and such a place, but hey, I know there's a Kokoros rain gauge there and they'll go check it out. So we really have tried to make it easy so that the data is accessible and it is available to anyone who's interested in precipitation data. So you're talking about rain, um, kind of the big thing, but you also said Kokoros, um, has a snow and hail element to it. So um, how does that work? So yes, yeah, so Kokoros measures uh, rain, hail, and snow. So the, the, the rain is the easy part. You put the rain gauge out there, it's gonna collect and you measure it. Um, the snow is uh, something that's definitely, uh, especially coming from Florida, um, trying to measure snow was uh, a, a little bit of a, a a problem and a challenge considering we don't get that much snow was one of the great things about living in Florida. Um, but Kokoros has created a variety of training um, that is available through the website that shows you how you can go through and you can use the rain gauge to capture the snow. So not only can we measure how much snow has fallen um, using a snow stick, but we can also measure SWE or snow water equivalent, which is, is really important, especially when you get out in the West and they're depending on the water from that snowpack 
um, as their water resources for the rest of the year. So being able to measure the snow is really important. So snow depths, we, um, you, we even have uh, modules that teach you how to do ice uh, accretion, which in the mountains is, uh, tonight, Scotty, if you had a rain gauge, you may end up with a little bit on that, uh, that rain gauge. Um, with the freezing rain. And in addition to that, there's also the component with hail. And the hail is not necessarily measured with the rain gauge, but it's measured through what we had what we call a hail pad. And there are um, there's a, a guide that shows you how to go and make a hail pad. And they're really easy to use those uh, to make because you're using foam and you're using aluminum foil. You're noting where you put it out, when you put it out, where due north is. And that information is something that you'll see more people in the plains and like the, the, um, the Rocky Mountain area where they're more susceptible to get hail. That's where they'll usually do that measurement. And Melissa, I have a, a, another question now. Not only does Cocoa Rise do rain, uh, hail, and snow, but they also do evapotranspiration from the ground soil or, or nearby water. So can you tell us a little bit about that? I'm going to pop this up on the screen. This is for Jared. So um, I'm going to go ahead, pull this up, because this is also another part of the Cocoa Rise network right here. So evaporation of water. So tell us a little bit about this. So one of the things that we do is, um, you know, we're measuring the precipitation that falls, but we're measuring that evaporation. So that ET, um, as we like to call it, is measured through a sensor, and that sensor is actually located um, on the screen. You can kind of see it. It holds water, and then the top of that mimics different types of turf. So you can change out the sun, uh, that little green, um, like a little felt pad. It kind of mimics what um, the, the, the grass type might be in the area. And you can actually see how quickly the water is evaporating through that sensor, um, through the little tube that's on the side of it. So you can actually track, and, and that's really good for drought conditions. You know, um, one of the things that we do stress with our Kokoros observers is while we love the fact that they go out and they make measurements when it rains, it is also important to know when it doesn't rain and where it hasn't rained, because that gives us an idea of, especially when it comes to um, using the data for any type of drought monitoring purposes. Um, you know, these the the drought monitor where they may end up adding in like dried conditions or moderate drought conditions or even severe drought conditions, having that information and exactly, you know, how long has the station gone without any rain, um, you know, or what has been the evaporation at this particular station can come in huge when it comes time to making those declarations on water resources, water restrictions. So that's just one of the things that we've expanded upon recently um, outside of just doing our typical rain, hail, and snow is looking at evapotranspiration as well. Very cool. Thank you for explaining that. I didn't know if we um, went to get into how people can sign up. I know we've already had some um, some user questions, Scotty, unless we want to keep going with some other material first. Yeah, I think Chris had a few questions. Then we can kind of talk about how folks can get signed up. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, well, good to be here, Melissa. Anyways, <laughs> um, as far as Cochrane is concerned, what can people do, especially when we get these events like, like we've had seemingly for, you know, each year for the last uh, four years, when we have these uh, borderline extreme events uh, to really help their verification uh, in the long run as far as the data is concerned. Is there anything more they can, you know, the average person can do on top of just, you know, recording the precipitation or, you know, what they experience on that day? Is there anything that, you know, whether it be media, pictures, video, anything like that? 
that's actually a really good question. One of the things that we do if, if um, you, when you fill out your Kokoros report for the day, you know, we're looking at the time that you made the report, the amount that you made, um, but there's also a comment section. And so having that quantitative data is great, having the numbers, but the qualitative data can be just as important. So say for instance, you know, you, you note the time when the rain started, when it stopped, when the heaviest rain started, when it stopped. If you had any unusual flooding, um, if you noticed, you know, water standing in areas where it hadn't before. I mean, the the comments that our Kokoros observers provide are, are are great. They really do provide some extra information, and you know, and some of them are quite amusing. You know, somebody um, a couple of days ago said, um, you know, I had what was that? I think it was like. 0.62 inches plus or minus the weight of a dead spider. So, I mean, they can be kind of anecdotal too. Um, we've gotten frogs trapped in rain gauges, spiders, birds sitting on rain gauges. Um, there's pictures of bears near rain gauges, um, especially in the mountainous areas. But those comments really do help in being able to provide that. And that's also where having the state coordinator come in. So if you've experienced an event, you've taken pictures, you have video, that information is great. You can pass it along to a state coordinator and then they can get it to their proper sources, whether it's hydrologists at the National Weather Service or the, someone at the River Forecast Center. Um, so that information can get passed along. Right. And that's, that's something I, I see is really important also from a social science standpoint uh, is building a, a partnership with people in the community that, that necessarily aren't meteorologists. Uh, and like we you know, said at the top of the show, maybe, uh, you know, weather nerds or, or weather weenies or just enthusiasts, whatever you want to call yourself. But, uh, you know, that's that's a way really to, uh, you know, form a partnership and, and really be able to provide better data when, when these events do happen. And, and you well, know, the, the anecdotal stuff, that, that's 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 awesome because, I mean, everybody needs a little bit of humor and, and reality in life. It's, you know, at some point. Well, you know, that that's one of the things is, you know, by having that local look at the at the area, um, you know, every individual knows, you know, their neighborhood. They they know where the water is going to stand, where, you know, air, what roads might be impacted if, if there's a, a flood. And that may not be information that we have. And that's where having the localized, that local knowledge really does come in handy. And it can be something that can be passed along to, say, the National Weather Service if they need to, you know, look at the amount of rain that's fallen and have verification for, you know, do we need to issue a, a flash flood warning or an urban stream flood warning? Or, you know, do we need to start looking at, you know, other precautions? Having that anecdotal information sometimes is is, ju is just as valuable as having that actual number. Of course, and and you know just to kind of finish up, I guess my few little questions here and, and kick it back to Scotty. You know, I know Scotty was going to talk about you know what people can do to join Cochris, but uh, I'm going to ask something that maybe goes a little further than that. You know, where, where do you see Cochris going in the future? You know, what uh, what, what do you what do you think something the program can do to expand to attract uh, more people and also provide better data? Well, I mean, we're always looking at different ways to expand the information that we're serving. So if you actually go and look at the website, it's come a long way since even 2008 when South Carolina joined the program. We've gone to measuring, um, you know, evaporation. There are different ways now to make um, condition reporting. There's um, the Carolinas in a, uh, Integrated Science Assessment Team, the CESA team, which is a uh, research team that's based in North and South Carolina. 
they've created a condition monitoring tool that allows the um, observers to make comments about drought and flood conditions in their area so that we're able to monitor that. Things are being done not only on a spate on a, on a, you know, a point like we have um, the Kokoros data, but now we're also looking across watersheds. Um, we're looking across the, you know, smaller watersheds, the larger watersheds to see what water's coming down the way. I mean, we're always looking at ways to try and improve messaging. Um, we're always trying to recruit new people because we do have an attrition rate. You do have people that finally move from an area and no longer report, or you have people that just drop out of the program. So, you know, we're always trying to bring in new observers. And somebody even asked me once, well, you know, you've already got 20 observers in, you know, this particular county. Do you really need more? And the answer is always yes, we definitely need more observers. I mean, it doesn't, everybody makes the comment and, and it, it's kind of funny to hear it, but you know, oh, well it rained on this side of the street, but it didn't rain on the other side of the street. And having a dense network of these, these volunteers that are weather enthusiasts that will help provide this information um, is important. We want to continue that on. And so, um, you know, there, there's, you know, there was growing pains in the beginning and, and now it's, you know, trying to keep people active. And so we've done things like create weather talk webinars where occasionally we'll bring on an expert to talk about something um, that's related to, you know, whether we're measuring uh, precipitation or snow um, or interesting things that are going on in the field of research with the particular topic. So we're always trying to find new and, and interesting ways to keep people involved in the program. Right. And it, you just brought up a really good point uh, talking about, you know, it might be 20 people in one area that are, you know, already observers and, uh, you know, that to, to the to the average person that may seem like a lot. But, you know, when we stand back from a weather forecasting standpoint, even some of the most highest resolution models that we have available today, like, you know, the the, the her, for example, the high resolution rapid refresh, it's only on a three kilometer grid space. You know, so it, the, the grid space is is, is basically the data points go every three kilometers. So, you know, have, and we know how, how inaccurate models can be sometimes. So being able to have the ground truth under that, it, it just helps, it helps tremendously. Yeah, and that's one of the benefits of Kokoros. It really has helped with ground truthing. And, you know, the observers have been amazing. Um, you know, just in, in the past year alone here in South Carolina, they measured snow along the coast which I think we had a Kokoros observer that had close to eight inches of snow along the coast in January. Um, we had Kokoros observers in the end of July that were reporting, I mentioned like the nine inch rainfall total in a day, you know, in the, in the downtown Charleston area. Um, and then of course, you know, Florence, we had Kokoros um, observers that were in areas um, that were outside of it, uh, the evacuation zones that were making reports, going out continually, checking their rain gauges when they had a break and they knew it was safe to, to you know, go check the rain. And, you know, we had a couple of our observers in Horry County that had over 23 inches of rain from Florence. And that's, you know, information that, you know, you can look at and you can get an estimate from radar, but actually having that ground truth value is really important. Speaking of radar, you know, it, it's also very important to calibrate what the radar is doing with the ground truth, you know, with, with everything in real time. Um, and I, I know that, you know, when we're working, you know, rain events, you know, it, here in Charleston, weather service is constantly asking for, you know, is like anybody have any rain gauge reports because like we need this to calibrate, you know, we calibrate the radar dual pole has gotten really good, but it's, it's, it's not, as good as, as a properly sighted gauge um, on the ground. 
Yeah. And that, and I know Jared, I know for, you know, you're bringing that up and I know that the event, you know, back in July um, with the amount of rain that fell in the Charleston area and you just go right outside of the downtown area and the amount of rain dropped off drastically. Mm -hmm. So downtown area, you were looking at closer to, you know, almost nine inches. And I think just across the, uh, you know, the peninsula it was down to three and a little bit further out from that, you know, you're talking maybe what, 10 miles mm -hmm. was the difference between a 10th of an inch and almost 10 inches of rain. Yep. So being able to have those points and help ground truth, those estimates from radar really do help the national weather service. That goes for sea breezes as well. You know, along in the, in the warmer months, we get the, the cumulus pileups inland and uh, where the sea breeze front drifts in and then it drops rainfall inland, maybe not even at the beaches, but just, I mean, like you said, it's a matter of, um, you know, some people, we kind of joke around about the backyard effect. Yeah, well, the backyard's higher than the front yard, but it really kind of rings true. I mean, from block to block in some areas, it can it can vary greatly. So yeah, it's uh, it's valuable. More data is good data. Um, so the more points of data we have for any kind, anything, rain, wind, you name it, it's good, good stuff. So Melissa, before we kind of wrap up with the Kokoros um, information, um, several folks are wanting to know how they can get involved with the program. Some in South Carolina, some in North Carolina. Um, how can they go about that? Well, the first thing that we'll have you do is go to kokoros.org and I'll ask um, either Scotty or Jared or somebody to make sure that that link is available in the comments. And there's a button that says join now and you just fill out the application. It's going to ask some information because we do need to know where you're located so that we can properly cite, um, you know, the, the spot of where you're going to be collecting the info or your, your data. And um, that'll at least get you started. Now from there, you'll have to order a rain gauge. And like I said, this is the rain gauge that we use. We don't use one that's available from like the Home Depot. Um, it is a four inch uh, diameter rain gauge. And there are links to um, some of uh, the vendors that actually have discounted um, rain gauges uh, or discounted um, uh, cost for Kokoros observers. And so I would say, I believe, I think, yeah, there you go. So that's kind of what the observer form looks like. And the discounted cost, you can get one from weatheryourway.com. Ambient weather is another one that we work with. And I've even seen people that have gone on Amazon and looked for Cocoa Ross rain gauge, and it's actually pulled up the correct rain gauge that we use. Um, so once you get the rain gauge and you, you fill out the observer form, the next step is the training. We have the training modules that are located um, right off of the Kokoros main site. There's the getting started link. There's one about measuring snow, um, measuring heavy rain, ice accretion, um, doing SWE totals. All of those are in training PDFs. And occasionally we'll be able to do some in, in you know, in-person training. There's a few and far in between these days, and that's one of the reasons why we have um, Kokoros as a YouTube channel with a lot of the training on it as well. And then it's just being able to cite it properly in your yard. And then just you can start taking the observations right then and there that day. So um, it, it's really easy to become a Kokoros observer. You just kind of have to be a weather enthusiast and want to make these reports. That's all that, that's that's the main thing right there. And so, <clears throat> Melissa, how can uh, how can folks follow you? on social media to keep up with information taking place in South Carolina and maybe some of these crazy or cool uh, Kokoros reports that you get in every day. Uh, they can follow me on Twitter. Um, I, uh, I usually post or try to post about South Carolina Kokoros and the rainfall totals on a daily basis. 
And occasionally I've been known to also throw up a interesting uh, this day in South Carolina weather history fact. So um, you can follow me on Twitter, ML Griffin WX1. We'll put that maybe in the comments as well so people can start following me if they'd like to. Sounds good. We'll definitely put that out on our social media. We normally, uh, from time to time, put out how you can follow our panelists so you can also find that on Twitter and Facebook. So with that, I think we have James back. We're going to kind of do a little reset here, James. Hey, Scotty, I got one thing real quick before James hops oh, in. Yeah. One more question from Melissa. All right, you've lived in Tallahassee, you've lived in Kentucky, now you're in South Carolina. What do you think about the weather here? <laughs> I, I will tell you what, uh, this uh, this cold air damming, this wedge is something completely new to me, and I would really like for it to get out of here over the next couple of days because this damp cold is just, it, it's something I haven't experienced before. <laughs> so and Better get um, used to it. That yeah. isotropic lifting and everything that comes with it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it, you know, for, for anybody following along that might be listening or watching this live and, and you're kind of a weather enthusiast, something really, really interesting is happening right now. If you uh, look over the Atlanta radar site, the Peachtree City, there's a nice uh, north-south linear uh, band of heavy storms that's developed right where the wedge is meeting the, uh, the, the westerly surface winds from the uh, surface slope. And so looking at the radar is just pretty, pretty interesting as uh, developing. But uh, kick it over to James. Chris, thanks very much. Uh, gentlemen, thank you so much for that interview. And Melissa, welcome aboard as well, too. Melissa just mentioned that we are in this horrible wedge. If you are new to the Carolinas, like Melissa is, like my mother is, I describe it to folks that this is the price we pay for the we get the rest of the year. We've got this tropical moisture that is just trapped up against the mountains here in western North Carolina. It has nowhere to go, and that's why we're into these day-long events where it's just cloudy and rainy. Back look at the bulletins uh, towards the top of the 7 o'clock hour tonight. The counties outlined in here in pink, ranging from Asheville to the uh, higher elevations in North Carolina, like Boone and Blowing Rock, as of 7 o'clock. You are under a winter storm. Warning. The counties outlined in here in pink, the temperatures are going to drop below freezing. So all of the rain that we've been seeing for the past two days, all of the rain that we're going to continue to see tomorrow, as we are below that freezing point, it is going to fall in the form of frozen precipitation. No, we are not talking about snow, but we are talking about the possibility of freezing rain, sleet, and as was mentioned during tonight's interview, uh, freezing ice accumulations. Now, even if you're in a place like Charlotte, North Carolina, where you're lucky enough to be above freezing, if just barely, during the overnight hours, you're still going to have periods of heavy rain. So that's why everyone from upstate South Carolina, along Interstate 85, along the I-77 corridor, even towards uh, the middle parts of the state, like Greensboro, Winston-Salem, you're all under flood watches because we've had two straight days of rain. The ground is like a sponge that is just saturated. It can't take much more water. And as more rain continues to fall from the sky, it's going to need a place to go. And so it's going to begin to run off into other areas. Let's take a look at the future cast. You can actually see what this precipitation is going to look like here on simulated radar from the HRR model over the course of the next few hours. Green is rain. Those pink kind of purplish uh, areas that you see across the higher elevations, that is what the computer is interpolating as the areas that we're going to see frozen accumulation. Again, in the form of freezing rain, sleet, and some ice accumulation. So if you don't have to go out tonight and you live in the mountains, stay home, have a hot chocolate, sit by the fire, because take a look at these ice accumulations. Some of these areas, especially in the darker red, you could be waking up to up to half an inch of ice accumulation. And even if you don't live in one of these areas here where we're going to see uh, some of the forecasted ice accumulations, again, we're going to be watching for that flooding threat. We have one more graphic I want to show you, and it's going to show you that once again, this whole weather event, this whole weather threat, even if it is falling in liquid form rain, 
is going to be all along the I-84 corridor, the Interstate 77 corridor, as that flooding threat continues. Scotty?
all the precipitation seems to be on the increase and it's it's heading up our way and as it encounters more and more terrain and more and more of these features uh it, the rainfall is really going to enhance so and folks around the you know, gsp area along i-85 maybe be a little bit concerned uh, going into tonight with uh, some heavy rainfall especially if you're in an area that's uh you know really prone to flooding um be, just be on the i guess the lookout for and uh, make sure you have a weather radio or, or some some means to get warnings as any may be issued. Um, yeah, that's about it for the flood threat. You know, down in the Midlands, it's basically just going to be a nice cold rain. I got one one thing to add here. I'm just going to uh, share my screen one more time just to give you just to give you some perspective on this storm. Uh, you know, this low came out of Texas and now it's it's heading off to the northeast. It's going to spawn a coastal low, but this moisture is training all the way to the Pacific. So this is tapping into what's called the subtropical jet stream. And this is what's giving that moisture feed even over uh, Central Latin, you know, Central America and up across the Gulf of Mexico. So we're getting a, 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 what we call an atmospheric river of sorts. It's not as well connected over the Pacific, but you can see where it's coming from all the way uh, over to the west. And so this, this is what's providing all of this moisture as it's tapping into this subtropical jet, which is getting wrapped up around the dip in the jet stream coming from the north, which is the polar jet. So when those two kind of combine on the southern latitudes and they get caught together you get this you get a jet streak and you get you get rain and, and a stream of uh, moisture aloft in the atmosphere up over uh the southeast region and this happens uh this time of the year we see this kind of thing happen where you get this moisture stream overhead and so that's a you know when you get high pressure ridge over indiana or the, the great lakes area pushing down that cooler air that's what causes this cold air damming and so we see that very frequently in the southeast and, and Shay, it looks like this may be a taste of what's to come this winter. This has been a really active southern jet that you were talking about, jet stream. And uh, if this is any indication, you know, over the past, I don't know, about month or so, we've had storm after storm. It seems like every four or five days that, that's come in and produced some heavy rain. And so as we go into the winter season, this definitely could be the, the, the trend and what we see. And it wouldn't surprise me at all that a few of these storms do produce uh, some big wintertime winter storm makers. So, again, watch out for the flash flood threat. And a big concern tonight, it's it's dark outside. So uh, if you're traveling early tomorrow morning uh, before the sun comes up, uh, you know, if you see any road or water going over the roadways, just turn around, don't drown. I mean, it, it's definitely not worth it. Uh, there's so many risks there. And, and just if you see barricades or, or water over the roadway, just turn around and find an alternate way. I do want to mention a few school closings and delays uh, before we uh, jump off tonight. Allegheny uh, County Schools in the North Carolina mountains will be on a two-hour delay tomorrow. Stokes County uh, in the North Carolina foothills, that's on a two-hour uh, delay. Yadkin County up in the North Carolina mountains, two-hour delay, um, as well as Watauga County up in the North Carolina mountains. That's a two-hour delay. And uh, that is all the reports that we have right now for school closings and delays. So I'm sure with the uh, the freezing rain threat and the ice threat, we'll see probably some of those um, happen overnight. And we'll probably see some school outages or at least delays tomorrow. And James, don't mean to put you on the spot, but I'm sure that uh, I'll bring you back in as we kind of wrap up some things. I'm sure we'll probably have um, some live cams going throughout the evening that, that the folks can see the icing um, in the mountains. 
That's right, Scotty. As I make my way back over to the control room, grab my microphone, uh, we will. We will be watching uh, some of those cameras. You already mentioned we're getting some reports in right now of uh, freezing rain and sleet across the mountain. So as best as that will show up on cameras, we'll try to bring it to you during the overnight. But as Scotty mentioned, when you get going in the morning, you'll probably want to check in with uh, media in, in your neck of the woods and find out exactly if work in school is happening for you. Definitely so. Well, we're going to log off, but James, do you, you want to share some news? I mean, we, we've had a pretty big week today. We kind of... Uh, kind of alluded to it on our social media platforms uh, as we log off tonight. You are our executive producer, so kind of tell us some of the uh, things that's been going on over the past few days. Oh, oh, well, I'm going to continue to tease folks, but what I can tell you, tell everyone is that on Monday, a bunch of us got together in Columbia, South Carolina, which uh, if you are familiar with our show, we're spread out all over the place, so it's not often that we're all together. Uh, but we got together, we had a little bit of uh, what some folks may call a hackathon, where you sit down and you bang some things out. So uh, we've done some paperwork, What we've taken what was a uh, podcast uh, that Ricky and Scotty and some other folks, uh, was it five years ago now, Scotty? Yeah, we're, we're approaching five years, December 4th. That's right. So uh, we are now uh, an official limited liability incorporated company in the state of South Carolina. What does that mean for you at home? Probably not a whole lot, but uh, we're going to be using that as the foundation for things that will be affecting you. So as we head into 2019, we're looking forward to bringing you some expanded services, expansions of our show. We are accepting your feedback at any time. We want to know what it is that you like about the Carolina Weather Group, what it is that you don't like about the Carolina Weather Group, uh, because we're looking to give this whole thing a fresh coat of paint as we head into 2019 to continue to bring you these weekly interviews going in-depth about science and weather and technology here in the Carolinas, but also to expand upon that to bring you more uh, live weather coverage uh, throughout the week uh, to keep you uh, informed, educated, and to uh, to a pretty good extent entertained. So uh, whether you're a viewer or maybe you're a business looking for some new advertising uh, opportunities, uh, let us know uh, what's on your mind. We'd love to talk with you, and uh, we're looking forward to a really great upcoming year. Scotty? Definitely, Definitely so, James. James. Exciting, Exciting times happening. A little bit of the news tonight. Melissa joining us. Um, as a full-time panelist, so we're happy to have Melissa on with us um, as we go into the rest of 2018 into 2019. So uh, let's kind of look at the schedule to come next week. We're actually off again. I know we were off just a couple weeks ago, uh, but it is the Thanksgiving holiday, so we're going to be spending it with our family and friends. So uh, no show next Wednesday night. We'll probably re-rack one of our shows that, we, uh, that we've done over the past few months and and show that. So there will be a presence of Carolina Weather Group uh, next Wednesday. We just won't be live uh, as we uh, celebrate the Thanksgiving holiday. Uh, as we look towards uh, November 28th, we're going to have Dr. Tracy Farna on. She's going to be talking about the red tide. You may have heard about that in Florida. Uh, we're going to be talking about the red tide and just the impacts that it's had on the coast of Florida and how weather's contributed to, uh, to that. So uh, that is November 28th. On December the 5th, we're going to be having a world-renowned hurricane chaser, Mark Suddeth, on. He's going to be talking to us about some of the data that he collected during Hurricane Florence and Hurricane Michaels. So those are some exciting shows. Uh, we end December uh, with a special guest. We can't announce that yet, but we're going to be talking about kind of the year in review, uh, kind of sum up everything that's happened in the year of 2018 weather-wise. And then the last th uh, Wednesday, December uh, 19th, Gonna have an open mic night. We haven't done one of those in a while, and we love doing that where we can just kind of chatter about things that are going on in the weather community. Normally, when we schedule these open mic nights, there's some kind of big weather event that happens. So, mark it on your calendars December 19th. Something big may be happening. Uh, it always seems to work that way, but that's kind of what our schedule looks like for the end of the year. 
Uh, we're excited that you'll be uh, with us on this journey, and we look forward to bringing you some uh, new and exciting news as we enter the 2019 season. So for everyone here at the it's Carolina – oh, go ahead, Shay. Scotty, I wanted to say one thing real quick. I know that I know that we're having our guest on Red Tide come at the end of the month, um, but I do want to put the word out there for anybody watching or if, if someone catches this show today, tomorrow, or the next day. If you live down in Florida and you are experiencing red tide conditions in your area, I, I strongly encourage you not to go in the water. There's been a lot of reports. Some beaches have been closed for respiratory issues. Uh, and that, that in particular is from a strain, a bacterial strain in red tide called Carinia brevis, which is a neurotoxin. So it's going beyond just your respiratory issues. It's actually affecting your brain. So I would stay away from those beaches if you're down in those areas experiencing the red tide Right now, uh, if you're into paddleboarding, kiteboarding, you name it, wind and water sports, uh, I can't say enough. Our guests may be here in two weeks, but between now and then, please stay away from those areas. Definitely so. Something you don't want to mess with. There are lots of issues that taking place down there in Florida. So uh, we hope you have a great weekend. Stay safe out there if you live in the mountains or the foothills of North Carolina. Uh, maybe just a good night to stay inside. Stay inside tomorrow morning until at least lunchtime until we warm up above freezing. Otherwise, if you live in the Piedmont or the upstate of South Carolina or the Midlands of South Carolina, watch for some flooding as uh, more heavy rain moves into the area. Good thing is we're going to have a pretty nice weekend, and it's going to be a sunny and clear weekend and not so cold. So uh, there is some light towards the end of the tunnel. So for everyone here at the Carolina Weather Group, have a great week. Rest of the week, we will see you back after Thanksgiving. So have a happy and safe Thanksgiving, and we'll talk to you again on November 28th. Uh, talking about the red tide with Dr. Tracy Farnham. Good night, everyone. <laughs>